Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear personal stories from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is mental health. Let's talk now with this week's guest. Will you please introduce yourself? I'm Deacon Ed Schoner from the Diocese of Scranton. I'm deeply involved with a number of mental health ministries within the church around the country. All right, so Deacon Ed, why don't we talk about, so what does mental illness look like and how prevalent is it in our culture today? People in general don't understand how pervasive mental illness is in our society. Not because people don't want to know about these things, but the stigma and the shame associated with mental illness is so pervasive it keeps us from talking to each other about mental illness. Even in some instances, our own mental illness, we feel ashamed to talk about it. The reality is about 20% of the people in our country are experiencing some level of mental illness at any given time. And over the course of a lifetime, about 50% of the people in our country will experience mental illness. Now, this would range all the way from relatively mild experiences of depression to severe schizophrenia, where you're hearing voices on that. But there's a whole spectrum of mental illness from very severe conditions to somewhat mild conditions. But they can all disrupt our lives, disrupt our relationships with each other, and disrupt our work lives. And it's an illness that needs to be examined and addressed and treated. How about the kind of mental illness, even temporary, that would particularly affect your job, your ability to do your job? What percentage of the population is affected by that kind of level of mental illness? The more severe mental illnesses affect about 5 to 6% of the population. Severe mental illnesses would be schizophrenia, where your perception of reality can get really distorted. You might hear voices, you might have visual hallucinations. Those are very disruptive illnesses. And you can actually, in our country, many people are on disability because of that. They simply can't work because of these illnesses. Other types of severe illnesses are severe bipolar disorders, where there might be psychosis and very wild mood swings from very high of mania to very low of severe depression. The other types of severe mental illnesses would be severe clinical depression, where they just can't get out of bed in the morning, just can't get energized. And sometimes with severe depression, it goes to the other extreme where you can be angry and have a very difficult time relating to people. So that's about 5 or 6% of the population that has these very severe mental illnesses. You might see that those people on the street, although not everybody with severe mental illness winds up on the street. Many do. And then you start to move into moderate levels of mental illnesses, which disrupt people's lives, but they can work. They're married. They might run small businesses. They would have significant types of depression. People even with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder can do quite well with proper medical care and if they're responsive to the types of treatments that are out there. And then to the ones that are not severely disabled, but still their lives are affected. For example, myself, I deal with mild to moderate depression at times, so it can disrupt my relationship and my family. Some days I don't feel very good, but generally I can go on and and live a life that's productive and meaningful. I know several people who have at least a level of bipolar, but with medication, they're able to have a life that no one even knows that they have this illness. Part of the reason is that they were able to find some medication that works well for them. But to what extent does more adequate mental health care or having mental health part of what's covered by your insurance or even overcoming the stigma 
of a mental health disorder versus a physical disorder. You have to take off work for a couple of weeks because you broke your leg. You might have to take off work for a week because you happen to suffer from a particularly severe depression that comes around. Where does coverage for mental health or understanding of that as a serious issue come into play with this? This has been a significant issue, what's called parity for mental health care. It's only been in the last couple of years where we're starting to allow insurance coverages for mental health care that's equivalent to physical illnesses. But you can imagine it's okay to call into work and say, I have a bad flu, I'm going to be out for two or three days. It's another thing to call into work and say, I'm really depressed, I'm going to be out for two or three days. People just don't understand the difference. That's what we would call the stigma associated with mental illnesses is that you just don't like to talk about it and people don't understand it. As far as the medical care that's available, well, the best example I can give is is if you have, say, diabetes or some other heart problems or something like that, the diagnostic tests that are available are pretty good. You can go in and take a blood sample, take a saliva sample, get all sorts of scans to figure out what's going on with your illness and develop a treatment plan. It's nothing like that for mental illness. If you have a mental illness, you don't take a blood sample, nothing significant or routine. Basically, the way the treatment goes is you should go in to see your doctor. I'm experiencing whatever, psychosis or depression. The doctor will talk it through with you and then prescribe some medicine and then say, come back to me in a month and tell me how you feel now. And there's no tests. It's discussion and diagnosis. And that works for a lot of people. Some of these medicines work great. For example, with bipolar disorder, a medicine called lithium, for a lot of people, it does a great job of stabilizing these mood swings. But for many, many others, they're resistant to these drugs. They don't work well, and it's not well understood why these medicines work well for some people and not so good for other people. So it's a lot of hit and miss, trial and error to find the right medicines or the cocktail medicines that are going to work well for a particular individual. In addition to the medicine, a big part of it is talk therapy, cognitive behavior therapy. There's different types of talk therapies that are very important for people to learn how to live with this illness, how to react when the depression occurs and the mania occurs or different types of thoughts occur. And Deacon Ed, are those often covered by insurance or if you have mental health issues, that's often more on your own dime? Well, it's getting better. I mean, many of these mental illness treatments are covered by insurances now. The problem with a lot of mental illnesses in many parts of the country is is that there just aren't enough providers. Many parts of the country, finding a psychiatrist, you might have to wait a month or more. Therapists are generally more available, but that's the problem. So if you call up and say, well, I'm having suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts, and they'd like to talk to someone about it, they might say, well, you know, we'll fit you in a week or two or a month from now. That's a problem. Now, of course, if you're immediately suicidal and your thoughts are really overwhelming, you go to the emergency room and you can get treatment immediately for that. That would be a crisis situation. But if you have these lower level concerns, lower level problems, in many areas of the country, it can take quite a bit of time to get in to see a professional to help. So Deacon Ed, you mentioned the idea of calling in, I need to take off a couple of days from work because of some pretty severe depression going on type of a scenario. So for someone who's watching this and like, I've been sad, I've been upset about things before, but I go to work. Can you help some people understand what is it like for a serious clinical depression issue or high anxiety issue or those kinds of things that might need a couple days of how do you help them understand that this is different? It can be overwhelming. We've all been sad. We've mourned the death of a loved one. We've had a bad experience in the job. We've had personal problems. That's being sad. These type of clinical depressions are usually when it hangs on for two weeks or more. It starts to get to the point where you literally 
can't get out of bed. It is such a chore just to get up and take a shower, prepare yourself for breakfast. It becomes almost physically disabling. You just can't do it. And it's hard to understand until you actually experience it, but it's beyond just feeling the blues. It's a illness that affects your ability to get up and do things. Similarly with some of these severe anxiety, people just get so upset, so anxious to the point where they can't get in a car and drive in traffic because it just overwhelms them, all the activity or being around other people. The closest thing I can describe it is is some sort of severe physical shock to your system that you need time to recover from. It is a real illness. It's a real experience that you can't just buck up and overcome and get through the day with. It's disabling. And fortunately for many people, the disabling experiences maybe last a couple of days and then their medicines, or like any other illness, it ebbs and flows. It'll go away for many people and then they can get back into life. The key idea here is, is to start to understand mental illness as an illness. And it has the same challenges of any other illness, and particularly any other chronic illness, where there are ups and downs, there's challenges, as you said, with the medicines, particularly if you're in the midst of changing medicines, and to treat this and handle this as you would any other illness, and not as a character flaw or moral failing or someone using it as an excuse to goof off. It's a serious illness that can be managed and handled like, like any other illness. So Deacon Ed, do you have any personal stories you want to share that will help people understand what it's like to live with these kinds of mental illnesses? I've made it a major part of my ministry over the last few years, primarily because of my experience with my daughter, Katie. My daughter, Katie, was a beautiful, vibrant young woman, grew up living a healthy childhood. She was the salutatorian of her class. She was the forward on her soccer team, scored lots of goals. She was a beautiful young girl. But in her late teens, she started to experience bipolar disorder. This would have been around 2004, 2005. And we had never heard of it at the time. We didn't know what bipolar disorder was. In fact, the way we initially found out about it was with her first suicide attempt when she was a senior in high school. President of the National Honor Society, involved in all sorts of senior activities and attempted suicide right out of the blue as far as we were concerned. It took us a long time to understand what this was because we had no experience of it. She got up from that experience, went to a hospital, got some treatment, and got back up and was doing pretty well. She went on to NYU in New York City, a very fine university, and was doing well in the program there, had a psychotic break while she was in Manhattan. Again, she went into the hospitals. The hospitals did a fine job of taking care of her. She came back home, continued with school, eventually getting a business degree from Penn State. And then she went out to Columbus, Ohio, and got a master's in business administration from the Fisher School at Ohio State University. So she did well for a lot of years, but her bipolar was always in the background. And like many people, her body was resistant to the medicine. She'd find a mix of medicines that worked well for a couple of years even, and then they'd stop working and the doctors would put her in different mixes of medicine. It was back and forth with these medicines. And some of them would work well, some of them would work terrible. She put on a tremendous amount of weights because of the side effects of the medicine. She'd start shaking with some medicines like she had Parkinson's disease. But she took it seriously, went to a lot of therapy. But sadly, on August 3rd, 2016, the illness just overwhelmed her. And she went to a gun store, bought a gun, and she died. And that was terrible. As you can imagine, anybody that's lost a child, it's a horrible experience to lose a child. And I would say this, it's even more difficult to know that your child suffered so much with this illness. 
And when she died, I wrote a simple obituary for our local paper here in Scranton saying that she had a mental illness and she died by suicide so that people wouldn't be you know, wondering what happened. And it was just very open and honest, very short. And much to my surprise, and the reason why I got into this ministry is this obituary went viral. And I heard from people literally all over the world about their experience of mental illness and how they're shunned because of the illness, the pervasive stigma, the lack of understanding, and how it's important that people understand that those who are dealing with mental illness have an illness. They're not morally deficient. They don't have character flaws. They have an illness, and they want to be understood and loved and accepted. And most importantly, for someone such as myself that's a member of the clergy and the church, they want to know that God's church is open to them, and God's church will bring them in and love them and care for them and accept them, even with these illnesses. I heard that loud and clear from literally thousands of people. They want the church to be more open, embrace them, and minister to them as they struggle with these illnesses. They don't expect the church to cure mental illness. Just like if someone has cancer, they don't expect the church to cure cancer. But they would want to be more accepted in the church and more loved in the church and be able to be more open about their illnesses in a church environment. Deacon Ed, I am so, so sorry to hear that story about your daughter. So that is what really brought you to this ministry. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, what is the ministry work you do and how is it that you're trying to bring better awareness and better acceptance of people who struggle with mental health issues to our church today? I and many other people within the church have taken on efforts to expand this ministry within the church. There's the NCPD Council on Mental Illness, which is an organization affiliated with the Conference of Bishops in Washington, D.C., has been active for many years in developing guidelines and some education tools within the church. We also have the Catholic Institute for Mental Health Ministry in San Diego, where we're providing grants and supporting ministries within dioceses and parishes around the country, where we're developing programs and ways to support this ministry. We've also just have started the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, which is a way for those of us that are in this ministry to network with each other. The type of things that you would do in a mental health ministry would be spiritual support groups, not therapy, not counseling support groups, but spiritual support groups where people who live with a mental illness can get together once or twice a month, sort of like a faith sharing group. They would pray but they would be able to discuss their experiences living with the mental illness. They can support each other, talk openly about where God is in this illness, and then we usually close with a prayer and a spiritual reflection. We do that for people that live with the mental illness. We have spiritual support groups for the parents or spouses or siblings of someone who's living with the mental illness. The experience of many people is similar to what mine was. They find out their child or their spouse has a mental illness and Unfortunately, you're kind of on your own at that point. It's not easy to get help when someone you love has a mental illness. So we provide the spiritual support group where the people can come in and talk to each other and just realize they're not the only one trying to help someone with a mental illness. So that's very helpful to be able to talk and pray like that. So Deacon Ed, you're talking about support groups. Is there a website or something you can find out where a local support group is happening? Or are you only talking about something where you are right now? I would love to say that you can go to your diocesan webpage, but there's only a handful of dioceses around the country that do that right now, or a handful of parishes. So our effort right now is to expand that. Our goal would be to make a mental health ministry as common in every parish as grief support or prison support or CCD, to make it just a common, everyday type of ministry 
that's available in every parish. If someone in the Diocese of Cincinnati would like to start a ministry like that in their parish, or perhaps at the diocesan level, please contact me, and we could work with them to get this ministry and get them up to speed and comfortable with offering this ministry. But we're just starting in this. I would say there's probably 15 or 20 ministries like this around the country in different places. Deaconette is talking about the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. So you can go to that website at aocmhm.org, aocmhm.org, Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. Okay, so tell us a little bit about what we can find on this page here. We've started this association just this past year. A number of us in different places around the country have come together to form this association. You can get information there on ministry resources, how to start a spiritual support group, educational resources, and some of the teachings from the church, and reflections. Some people that live with a mental illness have written some reflections about what it's like to live with a mental illness and how it affects their faith. It's a place where you can find some basic tools on how to support a ministry such as this. If you're interested in trying to start a support group in your own parish, is contact information on this website It's on this website. Also, the University of San Diego Catholic Institute for Mental Health Ministry is a good place to make a contact also. So if you're on that page in aocmhm.org, lots of great resource, ministry resources, educational resources. You can even donate to that. But also the easiest way then to get to the Catholic Institute for Mental Health Ministry, because that's kind of a long web page, is simply from this page at the bottom, you can see this logo, University of San Diego. Catholic Institute for Mental Health Ministry. Click on that, and that will take you to the Catholic Institute for Mental Health at the University of San Diego. So tell us about what we can find here then. This institute, we have been funding some ministries in various places around the country. We've also developed a manual on how to start up a mental health ministry with some basic guidelines and principles. You can see we have our work down here, what is mental health ministry. Under the section on the webpage there, you can see a listing of the communities that we've provided grants to and are working in right now from Connecticut, California, South Dakota. We're working in a couple of dioceses right now to to start up and develop this type of ministry. And from this experience, we'll develop additional resources that can be used more widely across the country. And then I understand you have a book. So if you're not one of these dioceses right here, Cincinnati is not one of those. It could be helpful to get your book to try to help your parish. Yes, we have a book called Catholic Mental Health Ministry Guidelines for Implementation, which is basically the training manual that's been developed at the University of San Diego for the people that are starting up these ministries. So if you're listening on the podcast, there's a book available through the Catholic Institute for Mental Health Ministry. If you're hoping to start the mental health ministry at your parish, it could be worthwhile to purchase this book. We'll have the link on how to purchase that book on our website, as always, at catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. You can always find these things on that website. Okay, great. Want to say anything about the Katie Foundation? In Northeast Pennsylvania, we started a group called the Katie Foundation to increase awareness about mental health issues and to do fundraising in our local community. And one of the things we offer through this webpage and other resources is prayer cards to St. John of God and St. Dimpna, which are two saints that are patrons for people that live with a mental illness. They have a nice contemporary image of the saint on the front and a prayer on the back. And you can order these for free through the Katie Foundation page. So let me show you, Bob, where, to, where you can go to pull that up. That page will be found at thekatiefoundation.org. Katie spelled K-A-T-I-E, thekatiefoundation.org. And then go to the store. 
go to the store. And there we go. There's a prayer card for those with a mental illness. There's St. John of God prayer card. And you mentioned St. Dimphna prayer card. There's a Spanish version of that as well. And they're all free. So you can order these prayer cards for your parish. Perhaps one of the most important ways to recover and support someone, help someone who's living with a mental illness to live in recovery and to live a, a good life is prayer and through spiritual support. Don't discount that at all. The medicines, the therapies are, of course, all very important. But another key component of someone living with a mental illness is spiritual life and they're being able to be brought into the church. All the research shows that attachment to a church, a deep spiritual life, helps people with the mental illness to live with the illness in a better way. Praying with people, worshiping with people that live with the illness, being open to them, welcoming them into your community is very important. If anything, all too often, people who have a mental illness feel isolated. The illness might tell them to go isolate themselves, and they need encouragement from their faith community to be brought into it. These social connections, these spiritual connections, these connections within a church community are very important to allow them to lead a healthy and whole life. Just like anyone who who doesn't have a mental illness, that's important. But it's particularly important to someone who's living with a mental illness to feel accepted and welcomed. Because far too often they feel shame, they feel isolated, they feel unloved and misunderstood. And that has to change. And I think if the church can transform the way it treats and loves people with a mental illness, the broader church will be transformed by being more open and more loving. Because if we can learn how to love those who sometimes can't even love themselves because of their illness, that will change the way we relate to, to everyone else in the process. In addition to that book that you already mentioned that people can purchase, if someone wants to start a mental health industry at their parish, like, wow, they're watching this video. That's a great idea. I think I feel called to do that. Are there other resources out there that might help them know where to start, what to do? Well, the NCPD page has things that a parish can do. 16 things that a parish can do. If you go to ncpd.org, which is the National Catholic Partnership on Disability, ncpd.org. And they have a mental health council there, that page. All right. Under disability, go to mental illness. They have that page specifically on mental illness. And then if you scroll down there. They recently published a resource entitled A Pastoral Response to Mental Illness, Reaching Out with Hospitality to People with Mental Illness. So that's a place for some resources. This article called Reaching Out with Hospitality to People with Mental Illness, you can find some resources at the bottom of that page. Yes, that's a good article. It's particularly for the greeters and other people in the church. If you go back to the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers page and go to the education page. So under educational resources, another one of the things you can find besides some Catholic church documents, some great documents, there's some books that you can order. In addition to that, there's a link, 16 specific actions of parish outreach ideas for ministry to people with mental illness and their families. There's a couple of great ideas of how you can start a mental health industry. So digging in, do you have any other closing thoughts? If you're the average person, how is it that you can look out for people who might be struggling with mental illness or be more supportive of parents who have kids with mental illness or just be more welcoming and less condemning of people who struggle with mental illness. The main thing that we could do is educate ourselves and become better informed about what mental illness is. Uh, There is so much shame and stigma associated with mental illness. We don't talk about it very much. We don't know a lot about it. 
So the main thing that we could do is individual members of our community and our church is just become better informed on what mental illness is and try to gradually lose the stigma. Stop thinking about people with a mental illness as someone different and they're over there and I don't need to understand that. They're members of your family, they're people you work with, they're people that you worship with, and just try to understand what this illness is. I think if we can just get rid of the stigma and start to see this as an illness and understand what mental illness is all about and just take some time to research it and understand it ourselves, that'll make such a, a vast difference for the people who live with the mental illness and for those that love them and support them. All right. Well, thanks for talking with us today about mental health, the need we have to be more aware of it, to be more pastoral towards people who have mental health issues, how anyone, particularly members of church communities, can be better educated and better respond to people who have mental illness as well as their families. Thank you so much for having me. This is an important ministry topic. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing, increasing awareness about mental illness. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website and view all the links talked about in this episode at www.catholiccincinnati.org being-pro-life. Thank you again for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you next time.